Welcome to Next on Sunday morning. <coughs> Thanks for being here. Um, I do want to make everybody aware, spread the word, make it known. Next Sunday, in the hearing of your ears, Sister Casey Watley will be talking to us. And this was no small feat. No. No small feat. So, anyway, definitely looking forward to that, what she's got to say. Um, before we launch today, I want to say a few things about last week. First of all, um, thank you for those of you that um, gave me some type of kind response, either catching me in the hallway or sending me a text or something like that about the lesson last week, um, about what you have in your hand. I appreciate that more than you probably realize. Um, you know, in a production-based culture, uh, which is not the church but the world that we live in, uh, you're only as good as your last product. And it translates over into the church or it, um, it, it seeps its way into the church and that you're only as good as your last lesson, your last sermon, your last worship set, your last solo, the last Sunday school lesson you teach or you taught. Uh, so, you know, the irony of that whole thing is, hey, Will, is that you've got a guy uh, who's struggling with credibility issues and validation issues up here teaching a lesson about a guy who struggles with credibility issues and validation issues. And so it goes. Um, I left, uh, I had a couple of things occur to me uh, this past week that would have been really great included in that lesson. Uh, and I just want to mention to them, mention them to you right now. First of all, God told Moses to throw down his staff. In the King James, it says, cast it down. Um, but uh, in, in other translations you look at, it says, throw it down. Uh, that, to me, implies that um, I care less about my identity, my income, and my influence than I do about what you're asking me to do. If I lay it down, God didn't tell him to lay it down. If I lay it down, that means I'm doing it with, with consideration and thought. I'm being careful with it. Uh, to throw it down means I'm, I'm almost careless with it in God's presence. I thought that was interesting. Um, the other thing that occurred to me is that the burning bush was, a, uh, it was an encounter with God, and that's where he received his calling. But God asked Moses to go beyond that. I want you to sacrifice. And I think a lot of times for me personally, I've remained frustrated because I'm content to remain at a place of calling instead of taking the next step of faith, which is actually throwing something down. So um, I don't know if that means anything to anybody in this room today, but if you happen to find, your place, find yourself in a place where you're frustrated, it could be because you're content to stay at a place of calling, and God's wanting you to take the next step of faith, which is to start throwing some stuff down. So uh, anyway, just a little, uh, little tie-in from last week. Last week was pretty focused. Um, and, and I like that. Uh, I, like, I like to be focused. Um, anytime I come in, I think anyone that teaches or, or um, preaches, you always want to hit a home run. And I think last week uh, I got on base, and I like that. Um, this week, though, I'm kind of worried because I feel a little scattered going in. So I'm just going to prepare you that in advance. Um, I feel like this is a little, little herky-jerky and, and all over the place, but... Uh, there, there's something there, and there's something there for somebody. So uh, I'll tell you what, let's pray before we do anything else. 
And then we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16. Uh, but let's pray first. Lord, you are the God of everything. Um, and that's pretty awesome. And you know us, and you love us, and you care about every detail of our lives, and we can trust whatever you do. And I'm just going to pray today that you would speak into our hearts. If it's got to start in our minds and filter down later, just whatever you need to do, Lord, to put something in us that we need today. We look to you because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. So do your thing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Okay, so in 1 Samuel 16, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Uh, This will be a familiar passage to you. 1 Samuel 16, verses 10 through 13. This is that segment in Scripture where God has told Samuel, look, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? I've chosen somebody else. I've chosen a man after, after my own heart. Fill your horn with oil. I want you to go and anoint the man that I show you. He is going to be the next king of Israel. So... Uh, Samuel, of course, goes to Jesse's house, and all seven of Jesse's sons come before Samuel, and God tells him every time, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one. So picking up in verse 10, it says, In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said, Are these all of the sons you have? I love this. He's perplexed. I know God told me to come here. I know God told me I was going to anoint a son of Jesse, but none of these are the, are the right guy. Are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. I like the way it says it in the New Living Translation much better than it says in the King James. So Jesse sent for him, ark and handsome, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah, or Ramah. Then in 2 Samuel uh, 5, 5, verses 4 through 5, it says... David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all of Israel and Judah. I want to talk to you for for a little while today about it takes a little while to become a king. It takes a little while to become a king. The historian Josephus said that David was 10 years old whenever he was first anointed by Samuel. Now, modern contemporaries put David's age closer to 15 whenever that happened. Simple fact of the matter is we don't, we don't know for sure. Whatever age he actually was, he obviously was not considered old enough to be a part of important family meetings, right? The prophet shows up. They called all of the sons in but David because, of course, they wouldn't want David because David was too young. So at the time, the age of majority in Israel was 20. Um, At 20, a man was considered old enough to go into battle. And uh, David definitely wasn't that old because the next chapter over, in 1 Samuel 17, that's the chapter that tells the story of David and Goliath. And David wasn't old enough in that chapter to be with his brothers there in the Valley of Elah. So he was younger than that here in 1 Samuel 16. Now, I'm taking a little bit of time here with all this age stuff. I want you to hang with me uh, because nobody likes waiting. Nobody likes waiting. 
So David is anointed at 15, maybe younger, maybe a little older. And David doesn't begin to rule in the city of Hebron until he's 30. And whenever he goes to Hebron to rule, he's over one tribe, the tribe of Judah. And he rules there in Hebron over that one tribe of Judah for seven and a half years. Then David is made king over all of Israel, where he rules over Judah and all of the rest of the tribes. And so he's somewhere around 35, 37 years of age whenever that happens. So that's 15 years or more of delay. Apparently it takes a little while to become a king. For those of you taking notes today or trying to remember something from this lesson, uh, here's your first point, your first sticky statement. David's conduct reflected his calling, not his credibility. His conduct reflected his calling, not his credibility. It took David 15 years to get from the place of his anointing by God to the place of his recognition by men. That's a long time to wait. Uh, I mean... I get antsy whenever things don't happen the next day or the next week or the next month. Fifteen years, it's a long time to wait. I find it interesting that um, the reality of this is that David didn't become a king the day that men recognized him. He became a king the day that God anointed him. In most instances, and and David had his moments, to be sure, uh, but in most instances, David conducted himself as such. He conducted himself as a king. He acted like a king, even though in the eyes of men he wasn't one yet. He conducted himself in a manner that would be consistent with his anointing, that would be consistent with his calling. Um, David aligned his conduct with his calling in the eyes of God instead of aligning his conduct with his credibility in the eyes of men. As far as as men were concerned, David wasn't a king yet, right? There, There were stipulations that had to be met. There was protocol that had to be followed. There were boxes that had to be checked off. I mean, that's how human affairs and human government works. And most of the time, it's a good thing that it works that way. Um, But in the interim... In the meantime, during the waiting, during the pause, during the delay, David still conducted himself as a king would. And what do you mean by that? Well, he conducted himself with loyalty. How many times did David have an opportunity to take advantage of Saul? Several. Several times. But he was loyal. He conducted himself with honor. He conducted himself with decency, with good judgment, with patience, with self-confidence. Talking about the qualities of a king. Now, the men, men didn't see him as a king yet, but he conducted himself as one. David cared for those under his charge. I mean, these are things that we would expect a king to could would expect a king would do. He defended the people under his care. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. He took care of their needs. And all of this time, David's running from Saul. He's hiding in caves. He's living with Philistines. 
the conditions for David's waiting period were less than ideal. That's understatement. But they were less than ideal. Yet he still aligned his conduct with his calling. Here's sticky statement number two. And it's actually got three parts. But we're going to call it David's 3D reality. David's 3D reality. David was first of all dismissed. He was undervalued. He wasn't invited to the big anointing party whenever Samuel showed up. He was dismissed by his family. He was too inconsequential to even be considered. Get this, even while he was performing and providing a valuable and necessary service for his family, he's working for the family. He's watching the sheep, watching the goats. He's working for the family and they don't even consider him. He's making sure that the family's assets are managed and taken care of and protected. He's working while everybody else is meeting. Then he gets anointed by, uh, anointed by Samuel to be king. You know what happens to him? After he got anointed, you know where David goes? He went right back to the field. Sent right back to the field. Went right back to doing what he did before God made this public announcement, right? David's my guy. This is my guy. Now you'd think that'd be a big deal to people. But apparently it wasn't. And got anointed by the prophet, huh, David? Okay. Going to be the next king? Good for you. There's still sheep that need tending. There's still goats that need watching. So get back to work. I find that really interesting. Went right back to doing the same thing he was doing before. David was dismissed. You know, he wasn't even trusted by his brothers whenever he showed up uh, for the battle in 1 Samuel 17. They were like, what are you doing here? You're, you're always up to something. You've always, you're always... You, you have no business being here. They didn't trust his motives for being there. David was dismissed. He, you know, he wasn't even respected by his enemy. Goliath was offended that David was the one who was sent out to do battle against him. Now we know that David was probably somewhere between 14 and 19 years old. How old is Cole? He's 14. Okay. So this could have been Cole. And Goliath was trained as a warrior from his youth. In my mind, and I know everybody's got a different picture of how this showdown went between David and Goliath, but in my mind, you know, here's Goliath. He's at least nine feet tall. Um, the way I see him, he's older and experienced, but not out of his prime yet. And they send this young punk out to fight him. And I'm telling you, the picture I get every time in my brain, uh, how many of you know who Ray Lewis is, the, the football player, played for, played for the uh, Baltimore Ravens? In my mind, he's a nine-foot-tall version of Ray Lewis. And I'm sorry, but in my mind, David comes out looking like Justin Bieber whenever he had that really strange haircut, you know, the bad haircut. That's what David looks like to me, just, just a stripling. And Goliath is infuriated that, that this is what you send out to fight me. And he was dismissed. Dismissed by his family. Dismissed by his enemy. 
he was dismissed. The second D of our three Ds is he was despised. He was despised. He was unappreciated. You know, David had done a lot for King Saul. Uh, He defeated Goliath. That was a big deal. Uh, He had defeated a whole bunch of Philistines. (laughs) Whenever... Uh, David wanted to marry his daughter. Saul at this time wanted to kill him, so he said, look, you go out and kill a hundred Philistines and bring me back a proof that you've killed a hundred of them and I'll let you marry marry my daughter. David brought him back 200 proofs of of what he had done. We'll just leave it at that. He remained loyal to Saul in spite of Saul's mistreatment. He played his harp. He chased away the tormenting spirits. And David remained loyal to Saul even whenever he very well could have stirred up a rebellion on his own because the people loved David. Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. He had already won the hearts of the people. He had even befriended Saul's son. He and Jonathan were were good friends. Think of all the things that David had done for Saul, yet Saul still despised him. He hated him. He feared him. There's another interesting story. David did a lot for this guy named Nabal, N-A-B-A-L, Nabal. I don't know who names their child Nabal because it it means foolish or wicked one. Uh, One translation I said, it even said it means retarded. So that's what you're going to name your child. So anyway... One summer, David and his men, they're, they're still on the run from Saul, and they lived in this neighborhood of this rich rancher, a guy named Nabal. And he had herds that numbered in the thousands. And David's men provided a service to Nabal. They hunted predators that fed on his flocks, and they guarded his flocks against thieves. And Nabal's employees, the people that worked for Nabal, they were very aware of what David and his men were doing for them. But they were working without a contract, right? They were just hoping that, hey, we do a good deed, and in turn, it'll get given back to us. Maybe he'll give us some food or payment in consideration for the services that we've rendered. So at shearing time, right, or as we would call it payday, David sent some men uh, to to ask for a little bit of payment. Uh, And he provided evidence that you are getting more as a result of services that we have rendered. And Nabal, uh, instead of giving him payment, insults him. He he says horrible things uh, to David's men, and the men go back empty-handed. Now, I want you to take a moment and, and just consider the stress under which David was living at this point in his life. Talking about being despised. First, at this, at this time in his life, David is responsible for a community of 600 families. Now, I know the stress of providing for my little family of five sometimes. But David had to take care of and provide for a family of thousands. Second, he was in constant danger of death because he was being hunted by a powerful and irrational king named Saul at this point in his life. Third, because he was a fugitive, he couldn't settle down and establish a business. He, he couldn't stay in any place for long. He couldn't, he couldn't seek employment. He couldn't build up a repeating base of customers, Ben. While providing for this community, many times he had to drop everything and move 
and start again somewhere else. And fourth, his strongest supporter, the prophet Samuel, had just died. And being a fugitive, he couldn't even attend the funeral. That's a lot of stress. And it was against this, back, this backdrop that David, expecting to receive a few weeks worth of food in return for the services that he had provided, he, he gets nothing but insults instead. David was despised. Number three, David was delayed. Fifteen years between being anointed until he was recognized. Leader over one tribe for seven and a half years, right? He lived in Hebron. And I just, I wonder if David ever thought, well, is this it? Is this all there is? I mean, I went through all of that stuff. Tried to conduct myself appropriately. And is, I mean, is this where the dream stops? Is this, is this where where it's all going to end. There's no record of that in Scripture, really. I'm just, I'm wondering if David was human. I'm wondering if his delay ever caused him to doubt, because that's what it does to us. You know, during that time, okay, so now he's, he's, he's been recognized as the king over Judah, and he's ruling in Hebron. During that time, he had to manage this constant civil war between the tribe of Judah and the rest of the tribes of Israel. He found himself in a position where he had to protect one tribe of Judah without offending all of the other tribes of Israel. Because I'm sure in the back of his mind he was thinking, you know what, there's a very real possibility that I'm going to rule over all these people at some point. So I really have to take care of both. And David finds himself stuck in the middle of a family spat for seven and a half years. And that stuff gets messy. There was one... Uh, one story in the middle of this where David had plans to peacefully unite Judah and, and Israel because David's ruling over the tribe of Judah and all of the other nations of Israel are ruled over <coughs> by one of Saul's sons named Ishbosheth. And he was a weak ruler. Um, he, he, was, he was not wise. He, he did a lot of foolish things. And David is conversing with Ishbosheth's right-hand man, this guy named this guy named Abner. And David's plan was to try to connect to the other nations of Israel through Abner. And about the time he's got that set up, David's right-hand man, this guy named Joab, kills Abner, and David he just watches it all fall apart. Everything that he was trying to put together so that there could be a peaceful resolution to this civil war just disappears. Because one person messed it all up. That had to be frustrating for him. Guys, the, the greatest challenge whenever you're in a delay, the greatest challenge between the time when you receive the dream and then the fulfillment of the dream, that greatest challenge is always going to be managing your own emotions. Managing yourself. So, knowledge helps. Uh, it, it helps to, and what I mean by that is that knowledge is power. It, it, it helps to, to know the process a little bit. And uh, I really wish I could take credit for what I'm about to give you, but I can't. 
because uh, I, I need to be honest. So this comes from Rick Warren, and he talks about six stages of faith. And you might find yourself somewhere in these six stages today. Uh, I'm going to go through them quickly, uh, but I, I want, you to, want you to get a handle on, on these six stages. So six stages of faith. I'm talking about managing yourself during the delay. Rick Warren says, if you want your faith to grow so that you can claim God's promises, in Mark chapter 9, he says that everything is possible for the person who has faith. He says, then you first must understand that God takes you through six phases of faith. And the first phase is the dream. The dream. What is the dream that God has given you? What is the dream that God has given you? I just kind of look around here this morning. I can see, I can see dreams resting on different people. He says, if you don't have a dream that you're working toward, you're not living. You're just existing. You need to start praying, God, give me your dream. Because you are here on earth for a purpose. And when you discover that purpose, you'll discover that dream that, that God wants you to go after. Ephesians 3 and 20 said that God is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. That's from the Living Bible. So the first phase is a dream. Got to have one. If I don't have one, I'm just existing. I'm not living. Phase two is the decision. Maybe you have a dream from God, but you've not yet made a decision to go after it. God's word for you in this phase is to go for it. James 1, verses 7 through 8 says, If you are like that, unable to make up your mind and undecided in all that you do, you must not think that you will receive anything from the Lord. You've got to make a decision to go for it. Phase 3 is what we've been talking about this morning, the delay. When things don't happen on our timetable. That's whenever we need to, uh, need to listen and wait for God instead of trying to run ahead of God. Uh, we don't need to create detours to try to make things happen. Uh, there's a benefit to being in God's waiting room because you wait on God's hand. It says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled won't happen right away, but slowly, steadily, and surely. So we've got the dream, the decision, the delay, the last three phases are difficulty, the dead end, and deliverance. Phase four is difficulty. What difficulties have you faced when waiting on your dream to be fulfilled? You'll go through many tests in life, but God knows what you're going through. He's watching, and He has not forgotten you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7 through 7, says, even though you were temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials and temptations, this is no accident. It happens to prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. Phase five is called the dead end. And some of you are at your dead end and you're ready to give up, but that's right where God wants you because he is preparing you for deliverance. God's word for you is hang on, don't give up. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, At that time we were completely overwhelmed, and the burden was more than we could bear. In fact, we told ourselves that this was the end. Yet we now believe that we had this experience of coming to the end of our tether, that we might learn to trust not in ourselves, but in God, who can raise the dead. And phase 6 is simply deliverance. 
Do you expect and trust God to deliver you? Because He will. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to go through all six phases of faith before God brings you to deliverance. Eventually, David walked into the fulfillment of God's promise. He was anointed king over all of Israel. It just it took a little while. But even though it took a little while, David wasn't unproductive <laughs> while he was in Hebron. He had sons there. He prospered while he was there. David, listen to this, David had six sons while he was in Hebron. Amnon, which means faithful. Absalom, which means the father of peace. Adonijah, which means worshiper. I can't hardly say this one, but Shephathiah, which means the Lord judges or the Lord defends. He had Ethereum, which is excellence of the people. So if you break that down, and there's one more son, but faithful, peace, worshiper, God defends, and excellence. That's what he had. That's what he gave birth to while he was in Hebron. And then he had this other son named Chaliah, which means refrain, restrict, or withhold. And I'm sure David felt like I'm being restrained, I'm being withheld while he was at Hebron. The Bible also tells us that David increased in strength while he was in Hebron. 2 Samuel 3 and 1 says that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. So he was productive, and he gained strength even while he was being delayed. Folks, delay does not mean denial. A wait doesn't mean it's a waste. I got a little poetic this morning after my cup of coffee, so I wrote these words. Don't pout during the pause because you still have the power to prosper. God always has a purpose for the postponement of a promise. Amen. It takes a little while to become a king. So let me give you some action steps. And I wish I could make these even more specific, but everyone's delay is different. But here's some practical advice for you for this week if you feel like you are being delayed. Number one, don't complain. We don't mind waiting as long as we can complain about it. But you know, that, that's one of the biggest mistakes that Israel made whenever God first led them into the wilderness. They complained about everything. We don't have any water. Well, here's some water. We don't have any food. Well, here's some food. We don't like this food. They complained about everything, even though God was continually showing His hand. Yeah, you're in the wilderness. Yeah, you're not at the promised land yet, but I'm showing you all these signs where I'm doing things for you, and they just continue to complain. So don't complain this week. But do pray. Now I can... There's like a collective eye roll at that one. But 
Jesus said in Luke 18, very first verse in the chapter, He said, you must always pray and never lose heart, is what it says in one translation. So those are our two options. We can always pray or we can lose heart. Pray or quit. Pray or throw in the towel. Pray or give up. So here's what I pray. Lord, (laughs) I don't know what else to say other than this right here. Help me to hold on and not give up. Whatever kind of help you know I need, send it to me. Help me to hold on so that I won't give up. So do pray. Do, this is so important, do remember the law of the harvest. I don't see too many farmers out there today, but most of you will be familiar with the process. Whenever you put the seed in the ground, you don't have fruit the next day. There's always a delay between the time you sow and the time you reap. That's the law of the harvest. So Galatians chapter 6 says, Let's not be weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So don't complain. Do pray. Do remember the law of the harvest. That there's always a delay between sowing and reaping. This is the last one. And this is directed at this guy right here. And if you find it applicable to the rest of you, then God bless you. But do conduct yourself according to your calling. Be loyal. Be protective. Be productive. Conduct yourself according to your calling. Takes a little while. To become a king. Questions? Call for question. Comment? Observations? Anybody in a delay right now? Anybody recently come through a delay? I'm going to be real transparent with you. I get nervous about stuff like this because there's a part of my heart that says, Oh God, you're about, I'm about to go into a period of delay. And I feel like I just got done with one and I'm really not looking forward to another one. We can trust His motives. We can trust His motives because He wants what's best for us. All right, well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for opening your word to us today. Lord, in the delay, you're still God. The dream is still there. The promise is still there. It just takes a little while. So in those moments, whenever we start to doubt, Lord, help us to remember the law of the harvest. Help us, Lord, to just give us what we need to hold on and to not give up. Lord, surround us with your presence, Lord, as we pray to you so that we can draw strength from it. In Jesus' name, bless them all, Lord. Amen.
Go with God. See you in a little while.